0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, the main show. We're doing a low-key wall episode today because Chris Spangle is still sick. Chris, we love you. Thanks for giving us complete control of the program while you're gone. I'm your host, Hody Johns. I am here with Sarah Brady-Wagner. Sarah, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great.
0: Sarah, you are doing great things. Uh, we should probably start off with just getting an update from you. I know some of the wall listeners haven't heard about what you're doing. So do you want to give us like, um, a breakdown of everything new in your life? Sure. Well, the reason that I haven't been quite as active uh,
1: recently with the dailies is because I started a new job. Uh, one of the rare unicorns of a uh, paid position in the liberty movement. <clears throat> so I will still be um, kind of joining on as I can with uh, wall daily episodes and everything, but only in a personal capacity and my personal time. But uh, I'm working with the grassroots leadership Academy, basically traveling um, around and training people to have the skills they need to make their communities better places and break down barriers to making everybody's lives better. So it's the nice awesome. thing is whether, whether I mean, or not it involves government, it's making people's lives better.
0: Yeah, I've seen I mean, I've seen pictures of you in a suit and talking at meetings and and uh doing all kinds of stuff out in uh in, in North Carolina and I mean, it almost looks like giving testimony. like, Is she in a courtroom right now? Like she's up to she's up to something.
1: Oh, that was um sitting with Jeff Scott during the NCO nine uh, hearings. Only only on um President's Day actually, which is when that started. But uh that was that was interesting. Didn't have to testify for anything, just you know, there to help take notes and provide moral support to the third candidate in that whole mess. Um, but now North Carolina is going to have a new election for the ninth district and the third district, actually. So we're uh, we're kind of running short on congressmen in North Carolina right now.
0: Yeah. Now, I know you've gone like more in detail or we've gone more in de- detail it on We're Libertarians, what's going on in North Carolina. But do you want to give just like a really brief synopsis and then... Tell them like, where, what it's looking like going forward, I guess. Give us the Cliff Notes version.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, anybody who really wants to see more about it can probably look on YouTube. It was quite the dramatic set of hearings, uh, finding out what happened in the Ninth District. But basically, it boils down to there was electoral fraud. There was one very seedy operative named uh, McCray Dowless, who uh, spearheaded an operation of harvesting ballots from people in order to try and um skew the election towards the republican candidate um it ended up being that the that dallas's step former stepdaughter testified um to him you know knowingly breaking the law in several ways and ended up being that um harris the republican candidate his actual son um who is a federal prosecutor He had to testify that basically uh, he warned his dad not to hire this guy, and he did anyways. But the most dramatic part of the hearings was on the fourth day of what was supposed to be a three-day hearing that um, Harris himself actually took, um, took a stand and said that he had had memory issues because of several strokes that he'd had. And basically he said, I made some mistakes, and there's been a lot of bad done, and we need to have a new election. And so we are.
0: It's it's, been it's
1: been quite the drama.
0: It's unbelievable coming on the heels of of I I think everybody's been so focused on Virginia just because that was such a I think when you have a tangential picture of it, but when you see what happened in North Carolina and witness the testimonies, I I I always listen to podcasts while I work out on the treadmill, and so I get like thirty five minutes. Unfortunately, the treadmill. I have my choice of Fox news and CNN. So if you want to talk about two awful sources to watch, but <laughs> they, but they were talking about the North Carolina thing. And I just was like, man, I'll bet Sarah's having like, I don't know either the time of your life or a nightmare, but it's certainly fascinating. Kind of both. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's riveting. If nothing else.
0: But I mean, just be one day, like the intern said, Oh yeah. He had me keep copies of the absentee ballots. Uh-huh. and that was, yeah, that
1: was the craziest thing is that they were keeping, they were keeping like files of people's, um, request forms to request absentee ballots so that they would send them these pre-filled out forms and then like go and try and like pick them up from them and like kind of weirdly pressure them to fill out ballots and like pick up ballots that weren't even fully filled out. Mm. The part that that just shocked me the most was one part that didn't even get a whole lot of focus because it was just so much thrown in the middle where um, one of the workers said, well, you know, when i did see, you know see one ballot one time, I just filled in a couple of the bubbles for the Republicans because I figured we were working for the Republicans, and yeah. it's just it's shocking you know just this kind of like obviously this is what's you know going on in our electoral system, and um, i'm glad it's at least we're talking about it now, but we 're not really talking about doing anything differently
0: yeah, I mean as far as we need to I have always been big on like adding some type of transparency or sometimes at least personal transparency to see like have I voted yet or was my vote tallied or something e- even if it's not a public record of your vote to just be able to see like how my vote was counted I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think is one of those I have back a long time ago I used I I, I had I did one of the booths for the elections and I just remember the guy was like, yeah, you just go in here, you click a couple things. And I'm like, so I could just check anybody, anybody that doesn't come in and vote ha- and nobody's holding me accountable on this. It's like, no. And I was just like, oh man, that's freaky to think about to say like, yeah, this guy came in, he said who he was. And I just clicked a couple things. It's, uh, I think it's frightening to me. You and I have talked about, uh, voter fraud and voter ID laws before and, it's funny to think that we're so concerned about people individually saying, "Oh, I'm this person" or "I'm that person" and committing the fraud, whereas really the majority of fraud has been wide scale. And it's easy to see because it be it would be such a pain to go in and say, "I'm this person," now I'm this person. I hope a different person's manning the booth, or you'd have to travel district to district to alter votes by one vote at a time. You know, because they'll recognize you if you come in twice. Whereas the mass of the voter voting fraud cases like when all the dead people vote in Chicago or you know in North Carolina is is just a single system behind the curtains behind the scenes and that's really I think the part that needs the most reform not on the citizens end but on the government's end
1: right now it's it's interesting because even you know when we have it come up though we, we don't see much reform or much change the only change we see in the electoral laws is to make you know ballot access more difficult yeah or to yeah. make that voting access more difficult it's not necessarily doing as much as we could to uh, improve both transparency and security
0: yeah the yeah I, I, and i think it's one of those things where you say if anything must be kept secure in our republic in this republic of ours it would be it would be the voting system. It would yeah. be, I mean, that is so important and so vital, especially considering that these politicians change things. Y- you look at the difference between our country where we don't like our representatives very much, but at least voting keeps them more honest than they could ordinarily be. hmm Versus, you know, versus Venezuela, where they say, oh, some guy stole the election straight up, like we know the president wasn't supposed to be the president. And you look what those countries that have that problem consistently turn into, if you don't... Well, you
1: know, another element to it, though, to consider is, you know, we don't even have most of people who live here or are eligible participating in our electoral process. So any debate over how, you know, legitimate a vote count is based on who gets counted and who doesn't, you know, you have to consider things like that. Like where, what we're going to see now with the um, both the ninth and the third district in North Carolina, we're going to have a series of special election dates. I mean, what's ridiculous is they're not even running them at the same time. Even the uh, filing period right now, this week is the filing period for the, um, for the third district, but next week is the filing period for the ninth district. And they have, scheduled primary dates and runoff dates and potential general election dates, just one after another in September and November and May, all of these odd dates that will have very low turnout numbers. And it'll be interesting to see just how many votes actually determine this election when everybody's getting up in arms about you know, how many people were counted and how many were thrown out under a 1,000.
0: It's, it's hard to imagine... Oh, a worse—I guess—a worse situation than than if Politicians that are no longer restrained by the taxpayers be, because they know they can just—they're going to get elected, and mm-hmm. that is a frightening proposition. That that they would even—I mean—already they trample all over the taxpayers, but to make it so that they wouldn't even be accountable to a majority of the taxpayers is is even more frightening <laughs> than, than than anything else. Um. Well, I guess so. The situation is is we'll probably have people coming in and out of the call, uh, and, and we just kind of get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. So, um, one thing I wanted to talk about with you, Sarah, we've never discussed this before, to my knowledge, I don't believe so, is that of purity tests within like the liberty, liberty movement, libertarian party, just the just the liberty stuff in general. I find that there's there's these purity tests. And I'm conflicted on it right now, which is why I just kind of want to talk about it out loud because I don't have one set of opinions and I'm kind of working on something right now. But I, I like I like to have like a hard and fast rule about this person what? is and this person isn't welcome in the movement or so, you know, to say it's, mm-hmm. it's, I'm a black and white person, even on things that aren't black and white. It's easy to hide behind a rule. It's hard to hide just behind like a feeling, you know. Whereas, you know, a lot of people got like a bad vibe from Bill Weld. I didn't get that vibe from, him. you know, for me, I was like, I I understand that I don't like this, this, and this about him, but that doesn't erase this, this, and this about him. So good enough, you know, whereas for a lot of people, it's not good enough. And I was having a conversation with a fellow podcaster today about, he, he felt that somebody wasn't a real libertarian or didn't belong in the libertarian party. And, I disagreed because I felt, you know, I mean, not that the the stances that this person held were not classically libertarian stances, and I agreed, but I was like, let's, we don't need to expel this person. Do you, Do you have any thoughts or any guidelines that help you where you say? Because for me, I really want to. I think that we need as many people as we can to overthrow authoritarianism. And we've had a problem since, I mean, they were even writing essays since the 70s talking about how libertarians are not welcoming people. And that's going to be the biggest problem for the party. Sure enough, 40 years later, 50 years later, it's still the biggest problem for the party. So I, we need to get rid of that problem. We need to be welcoming of more people. And at the same time, I don't want to be open for racists and bigots. And I still want to have some morals and philosophies and policies you know, or, or or at least some kind of guidelines. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think the, the urge to, you know, insist on purity is a moralizing urge in the first place. You know, it's something that you see take a lot of different forms depending on, you know, different groups. Like in a very religious groups, you may see purity expressed as the classic form of like sexual purity and um, religious sanctity, and you have to, you know, maintain yourself as very clean and um, maintain is apart from other people. But you see it in, you know, very progressive people often express food purity, you know, making sure that you only eat organic things and only put pure, um, you know, food and water into your body. With people who are very political, you see the same thing, but with political beliefs, there is an urge to insist on, um, a moral good of being pure. I think it's, it's important to try and kind of like keep any kind of moralizing personally. For me, I try and keep it in check uh, only because it doesn't necessarily help me to connect with other people. And if we're building a movement, well, that's going to be the goal in the first place. If I don't agree with somebody, if we, you know, disconnect over something, even if it is a moral disagreement and a moral difference, I want to first try and find something that we do agree on so that we can establish a basis of trust before discussing that bigger thing in the first place. I mean, obviously, if there are certain behaviors that should certainly be sanctioned, but anything that we're, I think, to me, a big libertarian value is also redemption. And you kind of have to decide which one's more important to you, purity or redemption. Because if you believe in redemption, then somebody can even be a terrible racist and can still learn that that's not okay and make up for it.
0: Yeah, and and I want those people around at, because I think that my influence on them, I've always held this about racists, that if they knew the friends that I had and their variety, they wouldn't be racist anymore because there's no way you can know these friends of mine and, and believe they're like subhuman or something. You know, it's, it's – and I suppose there's some demagoguery involved. I think sometimes it's all for show or – I think just because it, you don't have any statistics that help you out <laughs> to, to say that that any anybody's a subhuman or more of a human it's one of those theories that didn't didn't pan out during like the world war one and two eras and we're kind of done with social Darwinism science especially genetic sciences prove that there's no subsets of humans we're all the same type of human we're all the same species of human and it was long believed that we were different mostly along colors of skin but bone structure and and that even that's gone by the wayside we have tendencies among sequences but they're just tendencies and they're not actual I guess sets that would set us aside and so I, I mean I guess I'm going off on a tangent there but I just don't I think for me if you're a genuine person and you've come to a racist place I feel like I would rather talk to you than not talk to you at the same time, I don't want you co-opting the movement. I understand when people say they don't want the, what, what the term, they, you don't want the whore pe- preaching from the pulpit, you know? Mm-hmm. She can come to church, but I don't want her leading. I understand that, you know? I, I think people that didn't want Bill Weld running wanted him to fix a lot of his stanzas before running for president, you know, become that more pure person before running for president. I can see that, but I also see that there's rooms for interpretation on some things. Um, I think homesteading is extremely complex if we're talking about non-aggression. I think that the courts, the legal system, security, I think there are multiple ways to interpret those things and it is difficult to just have one single straightforward response and I'm okay with having, I love debate. I love having these debates and I have opinions on them but I also don't pretend that everybody that's different than me is stupid. And I definitely understand the value that they bring to the movement. I, I am interested, I guess in fleshing this out because at some point we just have to become more broad. I, I point to a couple of times in history where Martin Luther King Jr. was able to co-opt even racists to be like, well, I don't like black people, but what they're doing to, you know, I don't want to sick the dogs on them either. So I'm okay Mm -hmm. with this movement. And I mean, that was intentional. You also look at, for me, one of my favorite stories in history is feudalism in Europe actually as a single end date. I probably said this on air before, so I'm sorry if you're hearing it for like the fifth time again, but I love the story that eventually that merchants came through, talked to all of the commoners and say, on a specific date, all of you were simultaneously, let's, I mean, they put it to a vote and that passed, but they said, let's just, nobody's going to cut their wheat for anymore and so feudalism actually has a specific like a date that it ended in Europe which is crazy to think about because it was multiple people multiple different mindsets they weren't united under democracy they weren't united under republicanism they just said i'm sick of this system okay let's start there let's get everybody against this system done <laughs> yeah and and for me that's what i want the libertarian kind of umbrella or just the liberty movement i I want to branch out from the party even right now but just the liberty movement in general i want to get as many people as i can to say i'm done with this i'm not going to cut your wheat for you anymore i'm not going to do this anymore because for me i see that as our most successful vehicle but it'll only be successful if we stop saying hey you can't be here because you said this about guns once or you said this about dogs once or you said this about bill weld or joshua smith or it's just it's just such demagoguery and i i feel like it's out of control even to the point where i i don't know how to stop it i guess i mean i mean i guess i I don't have like a i guess i have a microphone to talk to the listeners but i can't command them to do anything and i think everybody's got somebody in the party with this person absolutely 100 doesn't belong here and some of those arguments I'm even sympathetic with, especially if it's like a white power nationalist kind of crazy movement type of thing. Or I, I, and I don't know. Some of those have shown themselves to the door. Um, Augustus Invictus left the party. He's Republican now. I think we had a few libertarian socialists that did want the mandatory, mandatory government socialism. And most of them have shown their way out. The libertarian socialists now are mostly voluntarists. And I guess that for me, that's good enough. And so I don't see any need to like hunt them. They were excluded because of their beliefs and their beliefs were bad and they didn't feel welcome here. And they left at the same time. I don't want good people not feeling welcome here as well. And it's hard to draw a specific line on that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a moral difference that you're drawing there in the first place. You're even saying good people and bad people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess people good for the brand or bad for the brand and I guess it's even less about branding because that makes it sound like a tactic. I guess it is a tactic because I'm trying to get something to happen, but I want what I want to have happen is just unity, I guess. I we need some type of unity. I look at what happened over in France and really all they got is what a delay on attacks and it took their collective might of like far left and far right people to do it and say, that's enough of that. And if that's what it takes to even get a delay on attacks, I mean, how much farther are we away from that to get the majority of our country in that same direction on that same boat? I just want to be able to, I guess, unite on a few liberty issues and then have them say, hey, this liberty thing is kind of cool. Because once you're into it, it's hard to go back. That's, statistics have shown, if you start voting libertarian, you're not going to vote for Republicans or Democrats ever again, mo- most of the time, because it's just, you're done. So I, I just want those, that door open to as many people as possible, as opposed to closing it on more and more people all of the time. I'm just sick of the purity test. I I, I think for me, people are like, oh, you might not know this about this person, but this person actually really stinks. And they send it to my inbox because they're like, hey, I I heard you to say something positive about somebody recently. You you should probably just stop doing that. And I'm just like, but but where does it stop? You know, like whose opinion do I base this on? There's some people that even I don't like, but I extend a microphone to them because I just don't, I don't even know for myself what that measure is. Do you have a rule of thumb with like people you will and will not do business with in the liberty movement, Sarah?
1: No, I think a rule of thumb is just a way to try and lock yourself into something. You have to take each, you have to take each person individually. I mean, isn't that kind of what we preach?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's just, maybe it's always going to be a gray area, which is why I don't have an answer on it. And so maybe I'm just asking something that has no... I'm
1: sorry. I wish I had a better answer.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, the discussion's nice. I think somebody was talking, because I posted it on, on Facebook, and somebody said, you know, I just, I want to see them at least try for voluntary things and think it's unfortunate if they see a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that, because it's like, I really, like, even though I, I think that everything should be voluntary, I think at least if they seem to express some type of regret, like, I like on gun control. I wish that we were in a place where you could all have your guns, but you know, it's just too many people getting killed or whatever excuse they use. It's a bad idea, but I can fix a bad idea. And at least the the desire is for the freedom. And so I can say, okay, I can work with a person who has that desire to explain to them, Hey, you can actually have your freedom there too. Even if you don't see it right now, you know, like I I think that that's something that I'd be able to, to work with. It's something that I'm fiddling with right now. And that could just be the the person in me that wants black and white so much in me. But that's that's something that I'm leaning towards. I, I, I think guess. we
1: also have to be more willing to work with you know outside issue groups. And we also have to be willing to work more outside of just dealing with... I mean, yes, obviously the party's going to have to deal with the government. But libertarians is, in general, there's a lot of other ways to promote libertarianism besides promoting the Libertarian Party.
0: I still feel... No yeah uh,
1: Chris said well, on, like you were saying, voluntary solutions. you can You can probably make a bigger change in your community outside of government than with it.
0: I think that's hundred percent true. I think that's one of the big reasons I got out of politics and into talking about culture is the Chris talked about it recently and said, you know, even people that don't consider themselves, like, say, Dave Ramsey, by helping people get out of debt has done more to advance the libertarian cause because that creates freedom than virtually any libertarian politician has done. And that stuck with me because I, I, I agree with that. I think if you become a good example in your community, you know, the good agorist, anarchist, minarchist, whatever it is you consider yourself, ANCAP, you know, if you just say, man, I know that guy, that guy's a really good person, it changes the culture and it changes their perception of you. And it'll do far more than any party platform thing we, pro- we I mean, any, anything could do. I mean, most libertarians don't know what the party platform is. It's, it's True story. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even that long, but, but most people don't know. And mm-hmm. I understand why, because it's more of a rule of thumb. You know, I think uh, we've got somebody else on the call, and I'm super excited. We do. Uh, Paul, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. It good took good you a little time.
2: while to notice me. I had to actually announce my presence. Oh,
1: I noticed you, but you were weirdly silent and you did not sign in with your name.
2: Yeah, that's the thing that happens.
0: He's <laughs> sneaky. So, Paul, we're talking about um, purity tests right now. Do you have a rule of thumb for who you th- should and should not think is involved in the libertarian movement? Uh, I caught
2: a good chunk of the conversation. Uh, I, I, I don't. You know, I don't have a rule of thumb. It's the people that shouldn't be here eventually make themselves blatantly obvious. And I think the problem becomes the, the people that want a purity test very strongly seem to me to eventually coalesce around the people that shouldn't be here and keep them around. Uh I'm thinking of people like Christopher Cantwell who still has supporters in some corners of the movement, you know? And yeah. the people that I've seen be friendly to Cantwell are some of the people that always seem to be up in arms when there's a moderate who is tripping over a few minor aspects of the philosophy and to me it's absurd but
0: yeah well i mean and it's i i think at some point you just kind of say well they're kind of blatantly violating the the nap on some of the things they say and because of that they make themselves scarce or at some point they're like i don't like Like I was talking, I, I, did you tune in for like what happened to the, the lib socks that did want mandatory? Yeah. I mean, they're just, they end up leaving. And so I think it's just one of those that I say that for me, that's good enough. You are aware that you hold a extremely non-voluntary position. You're unrepentant about it. And so therefore, you know, it's not going to happen here because we're a group that wants to try for those voluntary freedoms. I am willing to hear out a person Uh, let me get off a second amendment let me think of another like abortion right let's say they're pro pro pro-life or something and i'm willing to hear them out while i might disagree with their opinion because it's one of those that i understand where they're coming from and their goal is you know take brian nichols from our own program who's pro-life his reasoning is very much liberty oriented you know it it's it's different than my reasoning, but at least he's pushing for it in a pro libertarian way. So I understand it because he's, it, it's because of Liberty, not in spite of Liberty. And I find that most of the, like, I just want, especially the pro-life, pro life pro pro choice. You know, I want them to all get along, but I also want to fix people within this party because if we just stick to fix it, befo- fix it before you come into our house, we're never going to grow beyond what the 12, 13% of the nation we have right now
2: yeah well you know i think getting involved is about the only way you're going to and you have to have a a critical mass of other people already kind of there uh before a new guy gets involved because when i got involved in the party and when i started listening to we are libertarians all the way back in 2012 you know i wasn't as pure as the driven snow. i wasn't even nearly as nearly what I am now. And it's just a path that people have to walk. Even Spangle is going to admit that he has things that he's learning about and evolving onto to this day. It's, I think the people that get up in arms about where somebody else is, forget that they had a path to get to where they are as well.
1: Yeah, we all have at least one very objectionable thing that we used to believe.
0: I think we probably all have something that we still believe. I, I think every time people post like what's your non liberty thing and everybody has something. I feel like everybody has something. It's true. You know? I think that
1: there are worse I think there are better and worse taxes.
0: Yeah. That's my well, most
1: non libertarian belief.
0: That I yeah. Paul Paul, what's your what's your non libertarian belief? Uh Oh, Paul's peer is the driven snow. Never mind. No, no. (laughs) Paul's at the end goal. He's what we're all going
2: through. They're there. It's just scattered, tiny little things. It's really hard to pin down one that is like the biggest. But no, I think uh, especially when it comes to uh, building... Certain things like uh city planning is going to be one of those things that I th- find it very difficult to do in a non centralized way. I know it's possible, but you know you're going to get a patchwork and we look at things like uh the situation in St Louis and Missouri as a whole, where St Louis, the metropolitan area is a patchwork of other little cities and like ferguson is just an example of why you can't necessarily have tiny little enclaves administered separately you kind of need to weld it into a cohesive whole and get it cooperatively managed
0: that's fair yeah mine is uh mine's military foreign policy and the police i I lo- and I, I always tread lightly every time I say this because it's a golden cow. If you talk about the police in anything but a positive way, but I just see that the- I think the whole system needs to be overhauled. I think it needs to be transparent. I think it needs to be. I mean, I'd even be fine with repealing, but at the same time, I'm also would be wanting to replace it. I believe that it's one of those that I think it would be one of those that does not more people are going to want it than not. So even in a voluntary society, I believe almost everybody would sign up for it, I guess (laughs) is my thought on that. So you can say, yeah, it's it's not mandatory. It's voluntary. If you want protection, I think everybody's going to sign up for the protection. I think it'd be one of those where it's like, if you have a catastrophe without insurance medically, you're like hosed. I feel like it's it would be one of those things where it's like if I have a catastrophe or you know, if I have a catastrophe without the police, I'm going to be one of those like lepers of society. Uh, again, I want it to be voluntary. I think there's really good things. I really liked the talks we've had about privatizing the police, but it's... Uh, and I think you need some type of foreign policy. Uh, we talked about homesteading. There was the pink house this week. Paul, I, I, I liked what you had to say about that. A uh, guy painted his house pink. I am not... I am fine with him painting his house pink. But I think if you live in a community where everybody agrees to not paste their, paint their house pink, that's the rules, you know? And that's and so I think people are allowed to make those rules as a community. And you can't just step in and say, I don't like your rules. Well, part of living in that community is that. All, Oliver Cromwell talked about this when they were trying to get rid of feudalism. They were right in between feudalism and anarchy there in, in England and said, well, our life is just as bad at under, we just got out of feudalism and now our life is just as bad under anarchy. So we need some type of system. How about we all agree that if, we, you know, if we're going to be here, let's all pitch in to keep these guys who are lording over us from robbing our stuff. And ultimately he was successful, but the anarchists hated him because they said, well, that voluntary thing, you know, even voluntary, voluntarily signing up for this is, is not cool. This type of program, it's some type of contract, which is, you know, give somebody an authority that, that is bad. And I just think that ultimately, we need to be able to break into pedophiles houses and stop them from raping kids. Sorry, that that's Wow, that took a, that took a leap there at the end, Hody. Yeah. Well, that's how I. I mean, it's
1: fair. I understand. You just, you just took us, took us real, real deep there. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, enough of the purity tests. Uh, uh, Sarah, what do you want to talk about? For what? I am actually,
1: I am actually going to have to say goodbye and leave you two to talk because I have to go save my tiny little town from doing something dramatic. I, I don't know. I have to go find out more, but there's a town meeting I have to get to.
0: She sees the Sarah superhero signal in the sky and she must go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I must. I must fly away. I, there's there is a town of what, like 5,000 people that just cannot survive without my help.
0: Awesome. Well, Sarah, we're really, um, we're super proud of everything you're doing. I know everybody's very sad here on We're Libertarians that we don't give you, get you as often as we used to, but uh, you are always still in constant communication with us that we appreciate that. And so uh, congrats on achieving, of course, the unicorn of getting paid and in, in a liberty position and, and go get them.
1: Well, thank you very much, and I have actually figured out um, how to bring my recording equipment with me, so hopefully we'll be able to schedule some more dailies on a more regular basis soon. Uh,
0: That'd be awesome. We just got to
1: get around to that. Awesome. All right, but I'll talk to you guys later.
0: Have a good one, Sarah. All right, um, Paul, what's something you just feel like shooting the breeze about?
2: Well... uh, I don't know. Uh, there are a couple of little news stories that I have uh, dredged up. I did post one last night kind of for everyone to uh, have a chance to consider here. If you uh, scroll way back past everybody's inane chattering, um, <laughs> it was the uh, New York Times story about Google and their pay structure.
0: Okay. I have a really good friend who works for Google. What's, uh, do you want to give us the synopsis?
2: Yeah, let me, uh, get the URL directly sure. linked to you so you can actually, uh, read over it real quick. Uh, the synopsis is that Google, uh, because of internal controversies here lately, has been doing a study into their pay structure. Um, and one of the allegations has been that they are underpaying the women that work for them. Oh, that—that okay. that
3: is not the.
0: No pressure. Anything. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. No pressure. Of course. Um, So, yeah, essentially, uh, the allegation has been that they are underpaying the uh, female employees underneath a certain level. Um, And what they have actually found is that they have been underpaying the men that work in their company.
0: Oh, well, the friend I have is a girl, so that explains why she has never complained about it. <laughs> I can see why everything's hunky dory now okay, so kind of a reverse pay gap, gap problem there's a few lines of work where that's it used to only be some industries, and now it is it is developing into more and more industries. I know customer service is one where women are consistently making more money slash paid more money and and Google has joined that as well and uh yeah, what's an. Now, aside from enraging my feminist brother, uh, what did you want to bring up with this story? Uh, generally,
2: I, I just think there is a. Uh, there is, of course, the perception out there that, you know, men are paid more for the same work as women. Compared to their female counterparts, it's just interesting that in one of the most progressive workplaces in America, I would dare venture um, that the fervor to to have that balance, you know, despite the best efforts, they were well, they were successful in bringing up the pay of women, but they went so far as to
0: begin to underpay their men and their own internal studies showed it. And, and for the details of the story, it's not even close. In fact, they Google responded by saying they would give men a, a significant bump in pay and it still would not close the gap between men and women in their workforce. Yeah. In the story.
2: Uh, you know, they're, they're being investigated by the labor department, uh, It's been, they've been sued by former employees. It's, it's amazing how much effort this company has put into and has been forced to put into, uh, and yet they still can't figure out that if they just go completely away from negotiations and have cookie cutter salary levels that don't work for anybody, uh, that they'd be able to avoid all this controversy.
0: Yeah, when I get to talking about these issues, I, I have a tough time not talking about them broadly. I think I've done about three podcasts, at least one of them been with you, talking about just overhauling the whole economic system or at least the system of currency. I guess is most of the time what I go after with this because that's what we're talking about. Currency. The men are not making as much currency as the women at Google, even if they all get a pay raise. Okay. So at the same time, I also understand that, that trying to even it out. Most of the time people try to get the other guys paid more, right? The minorities paid more. And what happens is normally the other guys get paid less right? This is what happens in the restaurant industry, especially because I used to work in the restaurant industry for a really long time, that that's been the the bulk of our issues was they would pass some law that said we'd have to give all of our full-time workers, you know, health care, And so we would just get rid of all all of our full-time workers for as many as we could, you know, and that's, and and I hated to do it, but I'm a manager and I understand how these balance sheets work. Um, I think the, Highest grossing restaurant in the United States grossed something like 9% in revenue. I mean, that's, and that's pre-CEO like CEO pay and everything like that. So it's not like we have a lot of money sitting around. So at the time, I was working at Applebee's, and we had to make these tough decisions because we, of course, were a company that was flirting with bankruptcy, and we're sitting there pulling in a revenue stream of like 1.2% on a good day. And then they say, well, this is going to add another 8%. It was like, well, okay, we'd be in the red by 7% if we did that. You know, so we can't. And so instead of it bumping up more people, it actually kept down the ones on top. You'll even find the title of the article for the New York Times says, Google finds it's underpaying many men as it addresses wage equality. Well, this most often when we try to address the wage equality they don't underdress they don't address the underpaid men they address the overpaid women i shouldn't say overpaid but you know what i mean that's what they end up doing is they say okay well we're just going to have to bring that down a little bit
2: yeah it to me it just kind of illustrates the impossibility of trying to keep absolute equality. Uh, I think that is, while a beautiful goal, I think it's something that is ultimately unachievable, and I think that it kind of illustrates it, that you have one of the biggest tech industry uh, giants struggling with it at a very high level. I mean, they have a total of 10,677 employees yeah and they and they're struggling to get things to the point where it balances out and people in their different ranks all have similar pay
0: i think there's some need for social change i don't believe it should come from the government of course. So let us let let me throw that out the window right now. I don't want to talk about that. I think we all recognize that that's bad. But there are times when I think it's important to look at. I guess I applaud Google because I know this came about because it's like an internal study and then it became a departmental la- labor issue. But I think that you should look at it. I think a good example for me is women are classically better pilots than men and men flood the pilot industry. And it's it's one of those, it's a matter of trust and it's one of those imbalances. And I understand why it exists and there's some stereotypes and there's customers get what they want. I don't think the majority of customers are uncomfortable with the pilot, but like I talked about with the restaurant industry, where on the high end you're getting seven to eight percent, you know, revenue with you know, this is this is per year, you know, basically what I spend versus what I make. I'm, I'm gaining 8% if I'm lucky. You know, I think the airlines absolutely also have that issue. And so even if only 5% of the people won't fly with a female pilot, that's an, f- losing 5% of your wages is enough to sink your airline. And so it's hard because I understand that they would desire, I believe that most airlines would desire to have the best pilots And at the same time, they cannot afford to take that 5% hit. Uh, What would you say about that?
2: I would say that... uh, Eventually, you just kind of have to go with it, though. You know, I I do believe that that 5% hit, like airlines at this point, I don't think they can lose much more because anybody who doesn't want to fly under whatever condition already finds an excuse and drives 36 hours across the country anyway. um, So I think that the amount of people uncomfortable with a female pilot would eventually just be forced to get over it because this is the one flight that has any availability and it happens to have a female pilot. So you just have to get to London. So get over it.
0: It's tough because I, and and what's sad is I'm inclined to agree with you only because I think there's no way to get over. Somebody's going to have to be brave and just do it first. Somebody's just going to have to be that company and say, Hey, guess what? We hire more female or we hire the same number or, or, you know, if we get 20 applications from male pilots and one application from female pilots, you know, to everyone, then we're going to keep that ratio, you know, like that's, and I think some, somebody's just going to have to man up, woman up and just do it. And I think that unfortunately, that works better than trying to engineer it. I say unfortunately, because I think most libertarians would say, i love it. I I hate engineering stuff. Why is that unfortunate? Well, because when you engineer something, you can do it overnight. Whereas this takes time, you have to measure the social climate, you just have to work at it. It stinks, but unfortunately, I think fighting it with culture is kind of the only thing we can do. I did have somebody join the call. Um, Dale, are you on the call, and can you hear us?
3: Yes, Hody, I can hear you just fine. I am on the call. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can, Dale. So, Dale is somebody who's uh, thinking about doing some dailies for I'm your, us.
3: I'm your internet stalker. I'm your internet. No, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I should not have just come in and messed things up. Go ahead, Oni. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> I was going to try to, to d- dub it down for everybody, but yeah, he's our We Are Libertarians internet stalker and uh, loves to talk about stuff uh, like this. And so, I figured a low-key low wall would be good to get him into. But uh, he's he's one of the, uh, I guess if Christie's the wall super fan, he's the wall super fan sidekick. Uh, <laughs> is that all uh, I'm
3: the super fan speedster. We'll
0: speedster. go with that. The Flash. So um, I don't know how much you've caught, Dale. We're just talking about uh, whatever we want to right now. At the moment, Paul's talking about the gender uh, gap issue. Right now, there was this study that the, well, the New York Times didn't do the study. They're revealing the results of the study, but saying that women are paid substantially more at Google than the male counterparts. Parts That was not intended. It's substantial enough that they would have to give men more than just a slight bump in their pay raise to try and catch up. What are your thoughts about it?
3: I heard a little bit about that. I think um, I saw something come across a, a feed or something like that. Or I don't know if that was addressed on the um, on last week's wall, but I find that weird. What, what's causing it are they saying that are they claiming that it's not intentional or is it just that's how the numbers shook out that that would be my question
0: yeah his exact quote was it is a quote surprising trend that we didn't expect huh yeah and uh yeah they did the study they actually were and i'm reading through the article they actually did it because they expected the opposite to be true the men to be paid more than the women and so they were looking into it because they said, well, how, you know, what do we have to do to get this even? And they said, oh, after this study, you actually have the exact opposite problem. Um, yeah. Men account for 67% of the company's workforce, which about matches, you know, about men and women in the workforce. So, so based on numbers that works, that makes sense. But the money-wise, it didn't make sense, and they did get a hold of. It wasn't with everybody's, but among those who would disclose, it was a ninety-one percent of their employees. So it's actually a pretty good sample size.
3: Wow! Yeah, um, is it now? Is it based on like number of hours worked? Is it kind of like a reverse trend outside of the Gen Pop? Because typically, one of the, from what I understand, uh, it's not much that I understand. But what I understand of the of the gender gap. In pay controversy, um, a lot of that has to do with men. The reason why men earn more is because they work longer hours, they work in riskier jobs. And so it just ends up creating this when compared between men and women, it just creates this cascading effect where men happen to average out uh, 21% more. Uh, is, it, is that kind of like reversed inside of Google? Do they, do they go that deep into it? If that makes sense, I don't know if I made sense asking that question
0: no it's it's in looking at it we uh, they probably did but we don't have all of the information about it we just have what's being disclosed yeah Uh, yeah and so and and that's the thing and i think that's almost i mean paul and i don't mean to step on you but i think that almost proves your point that there's too many factors to try and just force you to be even right
2: yeah no uh and i think that's kind of illustrated here is that there are so many factors that go into calculation of a wage that i i just think it's going to be impossible to get absolute equality uh from any system from any level really because if google can't do it and they have access to some of the most powerful computing software in the world to keep track of trends then who has a hope of doing it really
0: and and to go hard econ on you this is something that wages are i am not a fan of the wage system and i know a lot of people even credit capitalism which i don't like but they credit capitalism with saying. Well, if everything bottoms out, at least you have your hourly income. And they credit capitalism with that. I completely disagree. Uh, when, after, Twelve years after the founding of the country, we realized Central Bank was a bad idea. We got rid of it. And we helped a lot of people become prosperous by giving, them, giving their companies money based on what they produced under, the, under a free banking system. America never had a truly, unfortunately, free banking system because we had a united currency. But we, we did give companies money based on what they produced. And the way people were paid was based on a percentage of that production, which I feel is better incentive than an hourly income, personally. Uh, this is something, so Frederick Douglass was a, actually, he was a proponent of the wage system. And then after it took place, said he, he's actually one of the one that coined wage slavery that said, now, now that we're actually getting to practice it, I don't like it anymore. And it's one of those that I've always supported because this is what, this is the point of having a union, right? To come to bat for you, to say, hey, you're only giving the people that, let's say you're, I work restaurants, so it's hard for me to not use those analogies, but let's say you make shoes. And let's say you're only giving the guys who make the heels of your shoes, 3% of your overall GDP. That's baloney. You should give them, 6% 6% or 10% or whatever percent of the shoe it is. I understand that you guys at the top, you're the ones taking the risk. You need X percent. But when you split it among among the rest of the workers, you need more. And so it incentivized, for me personally, I feel that incentivized the, incentivizes workers to do more. And it did. And if you look at what happened after we went to the hourly system, that's when things like discrimination started creeping in there. Because instead of me taking percent of what you raised and giving it to your employees i'm now just giving you a dollar per hour individual to individual and there's no accountability in that i can pay you for whatever reason it's there's pluses and minuses to the free banking system but every time i hear these stories i I just wonder how the government could do it worse (laughs) than than how it is yeah that's just
3: a I was going to say, just to push back a little bit on the free banking versus wages. Yeah, hit me. Oh, okay. No, I'm not, it's not even really pushback. Um, with, the, with the advent of technology, I would say uh, like with things like T-sheets or time trackers, GPS, which of course, that was a whole other thing you got into on, uh, on the wall that aired um, yesterday or, or today or whatever. Uh, let me get to my point you can track um you can pretty much track your employees uh, what they're doing and um you know i've had situations where you know coworker was you know pulled into the office because uh you know, they're out on a job site but something didn't get done or um, even i said oh they went to lunch and my boss was like oh they're still clocked in and so phone call immediately went to uh Went to my co-workers my coworkers, but you know that's that's as far as that's as far as I can get with the pushback. Uh, When you're saying,
0: I I agree though. I think the technology makes this more rational. To and and maybe we don't say every person is the same, but we say okay, if this, let's say, ten percent of the income is going to the people that make heels of the shoes then things can get split up for there. This person worked 40 hours this week. This person worked 35 hours. You know, then it's, even if it's an hourly wage, it's based on how much money you're making the company and really incentivizes you to do well, even well compared to other people. And even not just on hours, but like you said, technology is getting to the point where we can say, how much of that load did you shoulder? How many trips up and down the stairs did you make? How many, you know, they can actually really start to measure that more with technology. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I know that's kind of, I know it's jumping the shark into like a bigger subject, but I feel that wage gaps would not exist and be purely based on performance under more of a free market style banking system versus a trickle down central banking system. It would either of you contend with that in a meaningful way. You go ahead, Paul.
2: Uh, No, I I think it's definitely one of those systems that we have managed to mess up so badly that I think moving any way is going to be a little bit of an improvement if for no other reason than we get to try something new. (laughs) We can always go back to what's kind of working, but...
0: Well, we already went back to central banking once. It was terrible. We got off yeah. of it. We had the industrial revolution. We turned America in the greatest country on earth. And then we went back to central banking again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so we, we can always go back to what doesn't really work, but we have to be bold enough to actually try out on some other path and see what does or might work in the future.
3: Sure. Now, Hody, if you don't mind me showing my, a little bit of my ignorance here, I do have a couple questions about the free banking and how that relates to different businesses. Yeah. Um, the way business has got, and I this is just kind of a misunderstanding from another show that I had listening. Not that I would blame the podcaster, but I just you know um, I was working while I was doing it, um, speaking of production. But um, how you is haven't caught it? Every
0: single one of our shows, Dale. What's wrong with you? <laughs>
3: No, no, no. I'm talking about another show. No, I've caught, I've caught every everything I've got. Well, I haven't gotten all the way to the back catalog. So um, <laughs> Don't I worry apologize about it, and apologize to dear oh. leader for me when he comes back around. Okay. But, what, what my question is, um, how is the, when the, how the business gets paid under a free banking system, is that still based on the sales that the, uh, that the business would make based on their production? Like, go ahead, let's go back to shoes. You know, you produce so many shoes, and then so many shoes get sold. The revenue that comes back into the company, um, and then that's divvied up. Is that something that uh, that's based on the sales, or is it what the bank would give to the uh, would give to the entrepreneur? Because that's what I was unclear on when I was I was listening to that um, other show on free banking, and it wasn't one of yours. It's, it wasn't one of yours.
0: Really? Okay. Well, that's too bad. It wasn't mine because I love free banking. The, not, not, and what you're asking is a very high level question because it's something that big government will always try to take over banking as much as it, as it can. So we don't have any examples, unfortunately, in your modern era of a free banking system. So it's, it, there's changes that have occurred, especially in technology, like you mentioned, that I'm sure would make free banking look different than it did back then. But And you wouldn't even have to be a business. But let's say I'm a cobbler and I make shoes. Now, back on, and if we're talking founding fathers right like 12 years after the founding of the country they shut down the central bank because it didn't pan out what that free banking system looked like they actually acted like merchants it was a mercantile system so what you could do is bring in 18 pairs of shoes whether you're a business or an individual and they would size up what those shoes are worth pay you for those and then they would sell those shoes right and, okay. they, and they would partner with like a merchant style system so it was mercantilism And it was, and that was how they would operate then. I imagine with technology being what it is, it would not be that way today because you also at the same time deserve to have, and back then the competition was which bank would pay you the most for it. I could go bank to bank and say, who thinks these shoes are worth the most? However, you, all those would still be determined by banks. All of them would still be responsible for their shareholders for not overpaying you. You as a business seller would want to sell not just to the business that will give you the most money for those shoes, but to the individual that would give you the most money for those shoes. That's not actually out of the question either, because you can still sell them not to the bank, but to somebody else. For example, if the bank would say, you know, they don't have a monopoly on this. If you choose to tune in your 18 pairs of shoes to the bank and they give you $3,000 or you could sell them to others for $4,000, that's just another choice. You could give it to the bank for the raw GDP for just say, let's convert this to GDP or you can sell it to your neighbor who gives you the money for it. And then he will have to produce something to make GDP to make up for that. The way we record GDP, gross domestic product, which is basically just stuff, it is actually the measure of stuff plus services. One of the drawbacks to the free banking system, one of the reasons Keynes hated it so much is because service isn't measured, right? I can't say let me turn in my teaching hours for money, you know? And so there's no GDP for that. And so the banks wouldn't do it. My, my argument with Keynes would be, well, who cares? People will still pay for it. They will just pay you individually as opposed to the bank paying you. He wanted GDP to include those work hours and those service hours. And that was, that's a huge high level issue to have. But you know, I, I think with the advent of technology, it would be interesting to see the differences that would occur nowadays, but I can't imagine it would be worse. Every time I think of technology adding something, it would be to make it more efficient or better.
3: Right. So, uh, yeah. and, well, I, and I was going to say, just to address the whole blurred line between a cobbler and a, and a business, in, the, in my line of work, the, you know, I, I do own a, my own company, but oftentimes I function as an independent contractor. So the blurred line between the individual painter and um, the line between an individual painter and a business often gets blurred. So that was, that was interesting. You brought that up. Try to think how that would work for tradesmen though, just in general.
0: The, so, sure. And I mean, if you, if you're talking about like what, like fixing a window, for instance, Fixing
3: a window, painting a room, um, gutting so, a gutting a back, gutting and remodeling, that sort of thing.
0: yeah, so the issue is is that would just you know especially if you're not if you are repairing something now this is the broken window problem that we have modern in modern stuff. If we spend money right. on it, it counts as GDP, right so right. every year we build more planes than we have pilots. We put them in a boneyard. We never use them and they rot and they rust. And that's how, and, but all of those planes, because we spent money on it counts as, as GDP. It adds to our economy. Does it actually do anything for us? No, it doesn't. It does it do something for the mathematical equation that says we're rich. Yes. Does it actually make us richer? No. So the issue with saying repairing a broken window Well, functionally, you wouldn't want it to say the country is now wealthier because you've broken your windows. Theoretically, everybody could break their windows. We could have to pay a whole bunch of people to repair all the windows in the nation. And on paper, it would look like, wow, what a prosperous place America is. Did you see that last month where all their windows broke and they had to repair them? What a great month they had. And in reality, we'd all just be short on money, but there was a lot of people working, you know, to replace all those windows. (laughs) So you don't want most, now the refurbishing is different because that you actually are adding some value to the home. In which case, you know, in modern days, I would say that'd be something an assessor would say, or if we specifically, so that's the type of stuff that the banks would do that the, that I guess the free market wouldn't necessarily esteem is say, we believe you've added this. Restaurants are a good example because all their products get eaten. Right? And so you don't really have a measure. You just like, hey, I think it was pretty good food. And so the banks really had to assess restaurant by restaurant and say, this restaurant has this value of food, and here's how we esteem that. Here's how much we would guess that they added to the economy, you know, because they fed people. Now all that is gone. I think in refurbishing a home, it would be the same. We feel you've done a great job, a superb job. You've added this much to the house. It'd be something that an would still be around for to say, okay, you've added this much to the economy because you took a house that was worth, or a room that was worth $1,000 and you've made it worth $5,000, whatever it may be. And right. that would be my, now that's just a guess. One of the things that I admire about Chris is he, he's really doing a good job of saying, I don't know what that would look like and kind of letting other people discuss it, I'm, I love to theorize. So I, I take a shot in the dark, but I'm not a genius. And there's probably somebody listening to this. It's like, I've got an even better idea than that. And that pro- idea would probably beat out the one that I have in my meager mind, but that's the one that I've surmised.
3: Well, would it also be based on the value that the homeowner ascribes to said project? Because I can, you know, I can bid out one room for one person and then bid out another, uh, the same size room for another person. I charge the same thing to both of them, but one of them's going to want to wheel and deal, and the other one you know, it's like, yeah, let's get it done.
0: Yeah, and that's something. So, th- I mean, and that's something. The thing is because they're just doing business with you, the money is still leaving, and you get to esteem it. So really, it's just if you wanted the bank to be involved in the transaction or not.
3: Gotcha. Okay, that's it's what I was chance. trying to clear up.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I guess I don't do a good job because because I go back to those banks so often. I don't want to make no. it sound like another central banking system, you know.
3: <laughs> oh goodness, no! You, you, no. This has actually been very illuminating. I appreciate it, honey.
0: Yeah, no worries. So, uh, Dale, let's. Ju- we're just talking about stuff that we feel like talking about because it's low key. Wall, what's something that you feel like talking about? You
3: know, honestly, I mean, we. We kind of—I know on the um, on the other wall, you kind of hammered on the Jesse the Jesse Smollett thing. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I've just been really thinking about is—and I've mentioned this in an instant messenger—is how can we how can we try to make ourselves more free as individuals? You know, without you know, not necessarily going full bore agorism, but just you know those sorts of things. Like, how can we improve ourselves in such a way that we're more free, not just politically, but also, you know, I guess you might say from a from a life control standpoint, if that makes any sense. And I hope we're not losing everyone by me posing this. I like just, yeah, that's one thing that I've been thinking a lot about
0: lately. That fascinating question, Paul, Paul. I got a lot to say about it. So, Paul, why don't you go ahead and 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 go? Mm.
2: Uh, I will pass because I. Do not form
0: a thought on that.
3: Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a lot. Was, of time. I'm gonna was, give you a lot. A lot of time. Badly, I was gonna say it was a badly worded question. Probably, I took too long.
0: No, you're fine. You're, I think you're being too critical on yourself. It's okay. I. No, uh, uh, I uh, <laughs> you
2: you caught me while I was messaging uh the true uh proprietor of Lokiness, so uh,
0: himself. Yeah, Harry. Uh, Harry, cool. Well, the so for me. I think that it's something that I've been thinking about a lot about too. And I just say there's a chance the libertarian goal literally of the party is a world set free in our lifetime. I believe that's it's their motto goal, right? That's like word for word what, what their goal is. The more that becomes less likely, the more I start looking into, can I at least get myself free? Can I at least get my family free? Is that something that we should take on? It's one of the few times I, well, not, I shouldn't say few. I like Roger Paxton, but it'd be nice to have his input on this because he's really big on talking about this. It's just saying, what's the freest you can be? Because maybe you can't save the world, but can you save yourself? And if you can save yourself, can you save your family? And if you can save your family, can you save your community? You know, this is a lot of the, free, um, not Free Thought Project, Free State Project guys in New Hampshire were we're trying to do this to say, okay, you know, let, let's get some things done. Uh, They managed to what they've repealed their seatbelt laws and some helmet (laughs) laws. I mean, they've done some things, right. And it's, it's helping to make them a little bit more free. I think there's social freedom and economic freedom. Something that I've been debating right now is I could buy a place in the Cayman islands and the grand Cayman, the only tax they have is an import tax. And I would love that because it would, there's no property tax. It's literally free to live there. That is the only tax they have is is a tariff on your your imports. So if I don't import anything by, I I could self sustain on the Cayman Islands for 100% free, no government involvement, but they're really hard on marijuana. Now I don't smoke weed. So for me, I would be crazy free in the Cayman Islands. Because my biggest hindrance is a lot of economic stuff. I don't do a lot of things that would require the cops to come and crack down on me socially. But that's not going to work for a lot of the people that I'm in a community with. You know, and so there's a balance and it's hard to say what's right for each community. For me, I got like super excited and started making a spreadsheet because I was like, who's somebody who does this service or that service? And I found somebody who who's really good at ranching that would be willing to participate in it. And I found somebody um, who's really good with technology good at the internet, but there's just so many things. I think the nice part about what the luxuries we enjoy in America, are there's just so many of us, and we have so many of us doing so many different things. And so I can find one guy who understands the internet, but is he ready to manage the internet for a whole community? Beyond that, is he ready for the technology that comes, whatever is beyond the internet? You know, I mean, do I have do I have a science department fully formed? I mean, I got up to like twenty names and I was like, maybe I could make this work when literally I look at a pencil and I said, there's probably a hundred people that conspired to make this pencil possible between getting the lumber for it and the wood for it and making the, the metal and the springs and just I mean it's probably more than a hundred, it's probably more like thousands. And I guess in my I'm looking at a mechanical pencil right now, but there's just so many things that go together for it and it's hard for me. I'm, I'm on the line on it too because I would love to get myself free, get my family free and not have to deal with any issues and I know that I have an opportunity to do it. At the same time, I want the opportunities that come with community, that come with the technology that I would... I, I, there's no way to put it. You leave a lot behind when you choose to live as an anarchist. The people who have made their lives the most free a lot of times they're subsisting on mushrooms and what kind of mushrooms, both kinds, (laughs) the ones ones that I know, both kinds, but you know, they're, they're, they've resorted to eating fungus and they don't have, you know, I, I would die without the internet flat out. I die. And so it's one of those that have I then chosen to give away so much of my freedom because I want the internet, because I want Facebook, because I want this community, because I want electricity, because I want air conditioning. And so I I have made the decision that for me, I will probably stay in a very oppressive system because of these luxuries that I enjoy until I find a community that is close. If you are listening to this podcast cast this right now and you say, Hey, I've got a community that's close, please message me because I'm I'm open. I'm moving. You know, I'm trying I, I you know I'd love to get the kids, you know, out there that we're working we're doing the homeschool bit and I, I have no ties to the community. I can go wherever I want and work wherever I want. I would love to be a part of a system like that. I just don't know of one that's large enough. I know of people that go, that have set themselves and their families free. It's not an extravagant lifestyle and it's not one that I want to live. I need it to be a little bit bigger. I wish that there was some program at, at least the size and scope of the free state project that, that was working on a community that could actually be that free. Paul, I hope I bought you enough time.
2: I, I'm i a stubborn a-hole, so my tact is always going to be to plant my feet and force the others to move. So, you know, I'm currently working on expelling... Uh, I'd say 96% of the Hoosier population uh, because Indiana should be free and the rest of them can beat it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. That's a good sales pitch for me to go to Indiana. Well, Dale, you asked the question, but what are you, what are your thoughts and struggles with on that?
3: Well, just some of the things that, that – and I'm kind of piggybacking off of what you said tonight, man.
0: Sorry, Dale, you just cut out. Uh, go again. Oh, he gone. No, he's still here. I think it's just he might be out of maybe going through a tunnel real quick. So it happens when you go through a commute, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh no, uh, so I do see that uh Harry and Reinhold have uh gone live over on Twitch, so I don't know whether we should uh transition this over to there and join in with their conversation um, I know we'll probably end up filing this as a appendix to the uh twitch stream gotcha in some way
0: okay okay uh so maybe i don't know. i, want, I... I hold on, um, Dale. Oh, hold on, real quick, Dale. Think? Hold on, you still, you still in and out. I mean, yeah,
2: you're roboting really badly there, Dale.
0: Hold on, you're probably just, just weird cell phone tower right now. Well, if they're live over on the Twitch, and they're doing. They're doing another one over on the Twitch. That's weird. I I, I posted all this in the group, but uh, yeah, uh, you know what? Maybe people just get two shows today. But uh, well,
2: I mean, you posted it on Facebook, and you know Harry and Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, in the group on Facebook. Um, yeah, let me let me unmute Dale. Dale, I will let you if you are out of uh, if you're back in back into a good place here. Let's see if we can get you with some closing thoughts on what you have to say about getting you and your family free here. I hit unmute. It's not wanting to unmute. Well, all right. Maybe that is that, but uh, thank you for joining us. It was <laughs> a really good time. Uh, thanks for hopping on Paul. I guess we will go. Uh, we'll crash. Uh, what Herr and Reinhold doing it's funny. I thought Reinhold actually said he had to leave at this time, but, maybe uh, uh
2: can't no start. i i think it was uh he didn't get in until about 7 seven thirty. so
0: awesome well i will get this wrapped up and we'll get this uh we'll get this on the show and people can just have more to talk about and uh thanks for joining us paul dale thanks for joining us man it's always good to hear from both of you and we'll talk to y'all later